My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. Ah, another week, another podcast. <laughs> that's, that's a good attitude going into this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a uh, sigh of happiness. Oh, well, yeah. I'm happy too. Happy to read Animorphs and talk about it with you. Yeah, no, reading Animorphs and then talking about it has become, you know, a little bit of a break in my week, especially the last couple of weeks that have been just absolutely crazy. Well, really, the only thing we're doing differently is recording our conversations because we'd be talking about them anyway. <laughs> well, we're recording them and then I'm sitting there editing them for three days. No, nope, no, nope. we talk and then it <laughs> ends up on the Internet magically. And that's all I know. If we could just live stream our cell phone conversations like surely the nsa is already doing that if we could just get their feed and then post those to the podcast yeah i'll be, uh, uh i'll call them up and uh request a recording i mean that would that would just be extremely helpful to my uh mental stability okay well uh this is our general chit chat time so um i'd like to uh chit chat a little bit about uh a super awesome surprise that i had forgotten about tucked away inside my book number five that we'll be talking about here tonight um it's a decal an iron-on decal for a t-shirt these used to uh they put them in a couple of books i think is yours like in the middle yeah, yeah, it's in the middle. And it's just a very simple circle that says, it's got the Animorphs logo on it, and it says, uh, uh, oh boy, oh, this is going to be hard to read. It's it's backwards. <laughs> so it says, uh, oh, it says, the Yurks are among us. Animorphs. And then it's got a link to a, I'm sure, outdated or non-existent website. Well, I mean, I remember having one of those, uh, probably with a later book. Maybe. Hmm. And it was the one I had was just one big Animorphs logo in the, you know, overly rectangle logo, like on the front of the books. And uh, it was just that. It was just a simple logo, and then post, you know, you iron it onto a black T-shirt or something. Oh well, that would be cool. I don't. I can't honestly say I'm. I'm gonna tear this out and apply it to any of my T-shirts. <laughs> you should. I should. Um, some of the books actually, I think, had uh, stickers in them. Yeah, I was about um, to say they had they had various things tucked away in them. It was it was always uh, you'd either get a sticker, uh, an Animorphs T-shirt, you know, press-on thing decal like you were talking about, or there'd be some you know contest of the week that would have the top-notch Animorphs Scholastic animators animating you into the animal of your choice if you won. Oh yeah, I think I kind of remember that. I remember uh, on the on the Animorphs website, the Scholastic website, they used to have a little flash game that you could play where uh, you'd just move. It, it was basically like 
clip art images of animals and you'd move them around like a little maze like level and I don't know, collect items or something or keys to move forward. And uh, as, as stupid as that sounds, it was actually entertaining back in the day. Why didn't you bring up this during our uh, or extremely in-depth Animorphs video game talk? This seems relevant. Why are you bringing it up now? Because uh, I feel like it. Stop holding back Animorphs vital information from our listeners. Well, you should know right now that I only do things that I feel like doing. So... I don't know how I get you back every week. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I wish I had some Animorph stickers right about now. Yeah, they look pretty sweet on my uh, back of my laptop or something. Take that to the coffee shop, show it off. Well, actually, you know what? If you uh, just hopped on to one of these custom um, websites where you can upload your own design or whatever and, and get stuff made with that design on it, you could just throw an Animorphs logo on something. Get it on a coffee mug if you want. Yeah, no. I mean, if we ever, if we ever get, you know, a decent amount of listeners, uh, eventually, I and mean, we've got we've got a good amount right now. But I'm saying, if we get into the higher echelons of animorphs nostalgia searching, you know, podcast listeners, um, I I would totally love to do a couple custom T-shirts, like like a really subtle and nice like sharing t-shirt like i've seen a couple of them we we plugged that one guy's uh zazzle store or whatever but i'd like to do one that looks like a totally normal you know brand or company or something that's just promoting the sharing and it'd be something you could wear around you could wear to you know in a professional environment or, or wherever and people wouldn't have no idea what it is until you run across the random animorphs fan who's like yeah sharing bro i'm with you you know, I saw somebody compliment us on uh, on our Facebook page about the um, the uh, nice little pictures that you're creating for each episode. And, yeah. And um, I, I think it would be kind of cool if uh, after we're completely done with the series and we have like, you know, 55 of those little picture designs, uh, if, you, if you could somehow find a way to throw them all on a t-shirt, that'd be great. Well, I was going to do, I think... Uh... I was already thinking after the fifth book or maybe after the tenth book or something, uh, putting a bunch of them together in a, into a into one picture as like a wallpaper or something. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, if you could uh, come up with a cool design. Yeah, because I really like doing those. They're, they're, they're really fun. And uh, I like finding, you know, all the stuff for them and throwing them together in Photoshop. I'm not, I'm not all that great, but, uh, but they're, 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 a nice little thing to put together and they look pretty good. Yeah, I can't wait until you get to uh let's see. I'm looking at book thirty four right here and it's got uh Cassie morphing a Hork Bajir. <laughs> You're gonna have to find a nice Hork Bajir silhouette. Oh, uh, it'll be easier than finding a dolphin skin. My gosh, you'd think that tons of people are running around town taking pictures of close ups of dolphin skin, but nope. Not not happening. <laughs> You know what? I am uh, kind of surprised you didn't just find a super high quality uh, picture of a dolphin and zoom way in and no, just I, I do that. There's really not much out there, and and there's a couple you could do that with, but those are the ones that are you know like ten feet away from the dolphin on like a seventy millimeter lens. Like you're still not going to get that extreme close up of the skin like I've been doing with the cats and red tailed hawks and everything else. Oh, well, 
Sorry, it's not going your way. <laughs> no, I think it'll be easier with a gorilla, probably. I'll, or I could switch that out with, like, chimp hair or something. I don't know. Anything will work for that. Um, I could just give you a, a close-up on a shot of my leg. I've got pretty <laughs> hairy legs. Although no, you're, a pretty, like... you're a pretty hairy gent yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd like to keep it, uh... like to at least be the basis in the right, you know, subspecies. <laughs> We're close. It's like... Ninety yeah. some percent, same uh, DNA. and the, and you know when we get to the Megamorphs and the Chronicle books, uh, I I plan on doing something completely different for those books. Oh, well, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, no, I got I got to think about it, and you know make make it look good, jazz up the site, and all that stuff. But but we can we can switch up a lot of things for those books. Uh, you know. We can have different intros and, and maybe switch up the formatting, which which we haven't completely nailed our formatting yet, but we're still going to switch it up. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. <laughs> so, well, if you're, I mean, we're just, we're just talking. Uh, we're just like killing said, time. We're just killing time at this point, talking about, you know, future plans and such. But we could jump right into the book if you wanted to. Well, you know, here's the thing. I am really excited to get into this one. <laughs> and no, I, I know I say that a lot, but this time, <laughs> this time I mean it. I like that becoming a regular thing that you're really excited. <laughs> well, there, you know what? It's going to happen where we're going to get to a book where I'm just like, I am not excited to talk about this one. <laughs> Rachel turning into a starfish episode. You know what? I'm really excited for that one because... Because everyone keeps talking about it, and I've never read it. I'm super excited for that one. Well, do you want to get into it? Yes. You think let's, we should? <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into our discussion of Animorphs book number five, The Predator. Animorphs versus Predator. bodies were now hosts harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. They're after you! They're after all of us! Our wives, our children, everyone! They're here already! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! You're next! So, as I said, today we are talking about book number five, the Predator, and we're going to jump right into the uh, back-of-the-book summary. So here I go. Marco never wanted to be an Animorph. He never wanted the ability to change into any animal he touches. He just wants to chill. Whatever happens, happens. Jake, Rachel, Cassie, and Tobias know why Marco feels the way he does. He's worried about his dad, the only family Marco has left. And if anything happens to him, his father will be all alone. But something is about to change Marco's mind. It seems the Yerks have a little surprise waiting for him, and it's definitely not nice. Now Marco has a reason to fight. You know what I'd like to point out here? No mention of Axe on the back of this book. Because, it's, you know, if they if they mention him in the back, like, and Axe is there doing wacky stuff. If they mention that, you know, it kind of makes us like Axe more and, and be like, oh man, it sucks that he's going to leave, and maybe he's not going to leave. And then you get to the book and you're like, well, he's definitely not going to leave. Where's this plot going? <laughs> I'm just saying that usually in the back of the books, whenever they get to the part where they say Jake, Rachel, Cassie, and Tobias, 
you know, they throw Axe in there. Or sometimes they'll say, Axe and the Animorphs, or whatever. Oh, that's a good point. I just thought that considering Axe is just added to the cast, the fact that he's not included in the back of the book summary. I'd say he's he's not an official Animorph yet. I mean, that's I think that's why it is. He's just, right at this point, he is uh, a side character who is prominent, but he's not Animorph yet. Well, he's going to be pretty dang important in this book. <laughs> oh, yeah, he is. I'm surprised at the end or uh, or in the next book they don't have like some kind of ceremony where they like shake his hand or something and welcome to the Animorphs. No, uh, the initiation ceremony into the, the Animorphs Club is uh, uh, being put in a life-threatening situation where you're forced to join. <laughs> yep, some people do well, some people do not. It's a sink or swim industry, being an Animorph. <laughs> it really is. Sometimes literally. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's let's jump in. Let's just get into the actual nitty-gritty of the book. Yeah, and uh, obviously it's, it's a Marco book. We've got on the cover Marco transforming into his ever-popular gorilla morph. Very, very famous. And um, as, as always, the books start out with their recaps, and... Um, this one's a little bit different. I would I would say that this goes above and beyond the normal recaps in that it's it's almost like a self-contained little short story and it's it's just perfect. We've got Marco on his way home from grocery shopping at a at a 7-Eleven convenience store and I I just thought right away how bad is the situation where uh Marco is probably 13 14 at this at this point. He's going out super late at night and doing the grocery shopping for his dad because you know his dad is at this point is still a wreck uh i just, I just thought that was a very messed up situation but i guess that's kind of normal that's his life at this point in the series i mean his he's doing the grocery shopping at a 7-eleven uh just basically just getting the basics milk and bread yeah and unfortunately, on his way home, he happens upon a uh, a little mugging in progress. There's, I think, about three punks holding up some old man or something. And um, we, we get this awesome little vigilante justice scene here of Marco, where he's he's he knows he shouldn't get involved. He knows it's dangerous. He knows it's stupid. But when you've got the power to help... You, you do it <laughs> so he he goes and morphs gorilla and pretty easily manages to take out these punks but i i just love this ending part here where even though he saves this this man and, and chases off these three punks the guy's still terrified because there's a, a gorilla there beating people up and he ends up getting chased off shot at by this guy he just saved and it's it's kind of a brilliant little recap of the series so far in a nutshell is just the animorphs are going to do the right thing and they're going to help and it's never going to turn out the way they want it <laughs> yeah it 100 percent mirrors you know the series overall but you gotta think i mean up until 50 years ago even though all gorillas do all day long is sit and eat and every once in a while move to a new place so they can sit and eat we were still, as a species, terrified of them. We were killing them left and right, and we're just making up wild stories about how they would rape our women and, and just completely you know kill us if we got anywhere near them. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're scary creatures to be near, and I think that's a, 
Now, wait a minute. I have seen the movie Congo, so I feel like I know a thing or two about gorillas. Are you kidding me? I saw Congo when I was a little kid, and it scared the crap out of me. Even though there's a nice, friendly gorilla for most of the movie. Well, one friendly gorilla who's, like, doing sign language compared to, like, 900 murderous gorillas. Oh, man, that that was a scary movie as a child. Yeah, it did. And I saw Alien when I was, like, seven. And I think Congo freaked me out more. <laughs> but, oh, moving on. Um, This confrontation with the old man leads to a famous... uh or the, the infamous meeting spot at Cassie's farm. They're not in the barn, but they're they're out near the clearing, and they're uh, going over Marco's heroics and his stories, which they're all super calm about him morphing for, you know, not personal gain, but morphing out in the public that's not Yerk-related when he's freaked out on all of them for doing the exact same thing. Everybody's at uh, Cassie's meadow to kind of meet and meet up like they always do, and... There's a little bit more recap, a little bit more uh, character description, stuff like that. and Another uh, bit of good dialogue where everyone's just kind of chatting. Animorphs books has really good interaction scenes between all the characters. At least at this point where there's, you know, still development happening. Yeah, there's quite a bit of development in general, which we get throughout this book. Um, some of the oh, best yeah. of the beginning of the series. Yeah, and um, the reason everybody's at Cassie's Meadow is to meet their brand new Andalite friend, Axe. Yeah, so they, they, you know, get to see Axe's new home uh, on the outskirts of Cassie's farm. And and the reason they're having this meeting is because Axe wants to go home. Earth is nice. He'd rather uh, be back in a scoop tucked in with his parents on the Andalite homeworld. While they're all gathered there, Jake mentions their uh, next mission is going to be to try and steal a Yerk ship. (laughs) Yeah, they're getting pretty bold. I mean, they're a few missions in, and uh, they're already trying stuff like this. There's a good bit of uh, a a little scene here between Axe and Marco, where Axe is still, he's still a little naive. He still is not quite wrapped his mind around what they're really trying to accomplish here and he kind of questions their reason for fighting and he's under the assumption that you know they're they're fighting for honor and all of this and uh marco kind of kind of points it out pretty point blank that you know they're fighting specifically to save the world and to not die (laughs) well yeah and i think you've got the order of those wrong they're looking to not die and possibly save the world if they can and it's not a selfish, you know, self-preservation thing. It's, as Marco points out, if they die, there is no one to save the world. They're it. If, they, if they're if they gone, nobody knows about the Yerks. Nobody can do anything about the Yerks. It's just them. So survival is actually really high on their mission list for good reason. Marco is, is kind of hesitant with the whole plan to steal a Yerk ship because he thinks it's impossible. But Axe is quick to point out that... He can create a kind of distress beacon to sort of lure down a bug fighter. And everyone's pretty surprised by that, but he, he claims he can do it with uh, some primitive Earth technology parts. Yeah, and they're pretty quick to jump onto this plan. Uh, I think because Axe sounds so confident in 
in it, you know, being a good idea. And oh, this will totally give me a home, guys. I'm the Andalite. I know what I'm talking about. Let's let's move forward with this plan. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, and Marco is immediately like, "Look, dude, you don't have any idea how scary fighting is, and and war, <laughs> and neither do we. But we know a little bit better than you." And X immediately kind of, you know. Tail Bulks. between the legs slinks away. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? But Axe, I think what really sells them on this just incredibly stupid mission, uh, I think what really sells them to move forward with it is the fact that Axe is like, look, if I get home, I can, you know, nudge up to my brother's friends over there in the military and say, hey, let's head back to Earth. Let's get that going a little quicker. And that's that's what they want to hear. They They want someone to come and save them from their responsibility. So that's that's all he needed to say, and, and they were definitely on board. Yeah, even though the chapter ends with them deciding to take a vote on the mission, it pretty much makes the assumption that they're all voting to do it. Oh yeah, I mean, that was a clever transition on Applegate's part of uh, it's heavily implying what's going to happen when they take a vote and it's uh, and it jumps to the next scene where it's already been decided. So yes. I, I was like, in fact, like, in the next scene, everyone's uh, trying to coordinate a mall trip with ax. And this is, this ugh. is, I think one of the most memorable scenes from this book, if not the entire series is just the, the very first time ax goes to the mall and gets to experience taste as a human. It's, it's definitely one of the most memorable scenes let's go to the mall and it's very funny how everybody has to work together to kind of coordinate this trip with all the timing and everything because axe has obviously got to be a human morph for it and yeah time is of the essence here's one of my first uh notes in this book uh, i thought was interesting to piggyback on what we were talking about at the end of the last episode oh yeah. axe says something here Yep, I know exactly what you're talking yep. about. I, I made the same note. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's going to... He's already integrated clothing into his morph. Yeah, yeah. Jake basically just says, an Axe, you know, remember the clothing. And, and Axe replies with this one line that's, I have integrated clothing into, the mor- in, into my human morph. But it's like... <laughs> what? <laughs> that's another thing. How? I mean, the only thing I can think of is he morphed a human put on some tight-fitting clothes, and then morph back. But it's just... Ah! I mean, okay. I guess you could say... No, you know, I was going to say maybe it's hanging out in zero space, like with the rest of their mass, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think it's it's like, you know, like morphing a gorilla. You, you picture the gorilla, and that's what you get. Whereas, like, morphing a human, you could imagine the human naked or you could imagine you know the biker shorts and the the t-shirt on it and that's (laughs) that's how you that's what you get the biggest problem though is they go to great lengths to say that it is all dna based if it's not part of the dna it's not going to affect the morph yeah yeah and you know how are how is clothing dna related unless this is like they don't they don't want to go into the detail and mention it but maybe axes you know biker shorts are are actually just made out of skin. <laughs> like like neon green skin. Now, there is something going on with this morphing technology. I I know it's just a ploy for the author to not have them run around naked everywhere. But 
there has to be something that Axe knows about this Morphe technology that has to do with clothing or tight-fitting things or something that allows that, that we just, it never gets brought up. Maybe it's like a computer program where, you know, you get the base program to, to acquire and, and morph DNA, but maybe if you, if you tweak a couple settings, you know, you can, you can, you can hit the advanced options tab and uh, morph some clothing or combine DNA. Somewhere out there is an Andalite running around who could tell them how to morph shoes if, uh, if they would only find them and ask. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what they need. <laughs> the one guy who knows. <laughs> they need to find that Andalite cobbler who's hanging out on the fourth moon of Andalitonia. Even even though Andalites don't wear shoes because that's where their mouths are. How do you know they don't wear, like, horseshoes? Oh, because they have mouths on the bottom of their feet, that's why. <laughs> yeah, have you, ever worn, uh, have you ever worn a scarf over your mouth? Uh, only every day of my life. Exactly. <laughs> well, Oosh. we're a little off topic. Uh, <laughs> X has has just he's he's achieved God mode with his morphs. I think <laughs> it's safe to say. And uh, they take him to the mall, and within probably uh, a page, yeah, a, a page into the chapter, they they just immediately lose X. I, I like to think it's they they walk through the front doors, Marco and Jake's feet hit the first tile of linoleum, and Axe is just gone. It it is almost kind of like that. They they literally walk in, start questioning where, you know, Radio Shack is. I think that's where they're going. And they turn around and Axe is just gone. I, I have to wonder what the hell Axe is thinking as an alien in a, in a new world. Why would you leave the only people you know to just to just run off? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, luckily he's adapting to Earth pretty well because they they find him pretty quickly uh, in a Starbucks. Um, so he's he's obviously fitting in with the population. Oh yeah, he's he's trying to buy coffee when of course he has no concept of what it is he's doing or or money or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, they they find him and they have to pay for the coffee for him. And giving Axe coffee was just a bad idea in general. Getting him anything taste-related was a bad idea. Well, they, they didn't know at this point, but I'm sure the coffee didn't help what's what's about to happen. But they, they do manage to, to drag him into a radio shack, and uh, he finds mostly everything he needs, except for a zero-space transponder. Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, apparently, with uh, with parts that you can find at Radio Shack, you can build yourself an alien calling device. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after beaming the Radio Shack employee in the head with his coffee cup. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, <laughs> when he, he's done drinking it and he asks Marco what to do with it, Marco's like, oh, you can just throw it away. And he literally, like, chucks it hard. Uh, yeah, he, like, beams it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after that... Um... They head back out into the mall, and again, Axe immediately disappears. Yeah, he takes off to go taste more stuff. And why wouldn't you with your brand new mouth? <laughs> yeah, this, this Radio Shack must have been pretty close to the food court, because he smelled the Cinnabon from that far away and, and went running. They find him in the food court, and he's just going going from table to table, eating everything in sight, 
and people are freaking out. <laughs> cops are coming, or, or mall cops are coming. It's pandemonium, and uh, it's it's what we'll see every time any type of analyte comes to Earth. I mean, they, they go nuts for the sense of taste. It's an entirely new sense. I mean, it'd be like us, you know, developing, you know, x-ray vision or something. We, we would respond giddily and excitedly. Andalites come to Earth, and that is the beginning of the obesity epidemic for the Andalite race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But after Axe goes crazy and he's eating things left and right, and Marco and Jake are right there, but they can't get a hold of him yet, this, of course, gets the attention of every mall cop uh, within a you know half-mile radius of the center of the mall. With all the mall cops setting in, they have no choice but to flee. Since, you know, Axe is technically still in Morph, and at, at this point he's running out of time, in fact. And as they start running through the mall from these mall cops, uh, Axe starts to demorph. Right there in the mall. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what his plan was there. I guess uh, I guess it says that he was just, you know, not very confident running on two legs, so he wanted to get, get all four hoofs back. Yeah, that that's it. And in, in fact, I think in the in the next book, he even makes a little joke about how uh, how humans can run on two legs. Yeah, but they get out of the mall. Axe is fully demorphed. They've now got actual cops on their tail, and the only place they can see nearby that they could maybe escape to uh, is a grocery store. Yeah, they run into a supermarket. Yeah, they they jump in there and. I don't know what plan they had going in, probably just to find an exit or whatever. But as they're running through the aisles, uh, Marco sees, oh, there's a lobster tank in the back. Maybe that's useful for us. And they do manage to block the entryway a little bit, so it'll at least slow down all the cops amassing outside. Uh, mixed in with controllers who have already identified Nandalite, so they know, you know, it's not they're not messing around with just normal cops now. And we get a nice nice addition to their, their morphing roster, the lobster, which I'm sure will, will be revisited <laughs> at oh, least yeah. once. Yeah, at least once. Um and it is a cool little uh it is a cool little scene right here where they're acquiring the morph and morphing into the lobster. And it actually was pretty tense in the book. Lobster eyes apparently suck because they sit in this tank for quite a while i and and they they can't see outside of the tank or anything like that they have a they have a notion of somebody picking them up and they get packed in ice and i thought this was super creepy i, I was just imagining being in this scenario where you are a lobster and you can feel the ice all around you and jake uh no not jake marco who is the narrator of the book mentions uh the ice is making him kind of sleepy in morph or not not sleepy but docile and that's that's kind of alarming <laughs> yeah that was a nice touch I and mean, that's what happens when you go buy a lobster you put them in ice and they they go into this catatonic state they are packed up and being moved somewhere and marco's just kind of chilling out and x suddenly mentions we have seven minutes left in this morph and that totally freaks them all out <laughs> so they decide 
that it's time to demorph now, regardless of where they're at. They don't care who sees. They they do not want to be stuck in lobster morph forever. So it's demorphing time, just as Marco is about to be fed into a pot of boiling water, which is, I think, every lobster's fear, or would be if lobsters could fear. Oh, they can fear, all right. Maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and the biggest thing here is after they demorph, you know, you've got this andalite and two teenage kids who have turned from lobsters into their forms there and now. And there's just a woman in the corner just screaming her head off. Uh, because obviously morphine is terrifying. Even if, even if it didn't look crazy like they described in the book, the idea is terrifying, especially when you're about to cook these things for dinner. I like the fact that they managed to convince this screaming... <laughs> poor poor woman that it's all just a dream and she needs to not talk to anybody about it don't tell anybody about it and um i i, I really like how they point out there are three other actual lobsters that the the people brought home it was a dinner for six and marco mentions to her before they leave why don't you take those other lobsters down to the sea and let them go <laughs> i don't think they convince her at all i think this is yet another point where the Animorphs have completely exposed themselves to someone and just left them to, I hope I hope they don't say anything. Because their mindset is, uh, oh, well, if they tell someone, they'll just be crazy. But so many people are becoming Yurks left and right and becoming controllers. Um, it's, it's insane to leave anyone uh, who exposed to your biggest secret. I'm not saying they should kill her or anything, but there's a pretty decent chance that this person could eventually become a yerk remember this situation and then totally expose who they are it could happen but i guess it's not something they can worry about when they're about to end up as a lobster meal if rachel were there she would have taken she would have taken care of the situation that's all i'll say there's a a recurring theme throughout most of these animorphs books at least in the beginning i don't know about later in the series but all these bad morphs they keep experiencing are just feeding their nightmares constantly. That's that's definitely been something mentioned in almost every book. Yeah, and you're talking about the beginning of the next chapter, which, I mean, they've had some crazy dreams, but this was a fairly graphic, violent dream. It's, yeah, it was weird. It's <laughs> it was up. weird. Yeah, I, this is uh, this this is one part of what makes this book. Uh, stand out from the other ones in that it's just, it went hog wild. It didn't care. It's a kid's book. It doesn't care what you're thinking. It's fairly graphic throughout. And I think the point of this uh, little nightmare scene again is to have another scene of Marco interacting with his father who comes to wake him up and uh, is worried that Marco might have been having a nightmare about their his mother who had uh who had died it's it's coming up on the two-year anniversary of his mother's death yeah that's that's the real story of this book is uh the two-year anniversary coming up like you said like the next sunday or something and this tradition that him and his father have of going to his mother's grave and just kind of hanging out and his dad still being in this state of depression over her death and uh, Marco's super worried about it. He's he's worried about his dad's reaction, whether they're going to talk about it, his own reaction. But his mom is uh, definitely being brought up more often than the other books. 
The next scene is everybody going back to kind of check in on Axe and see how his little, uh, his machine is coming along. And uh, he's basically finished it, uh, aside from the fact that they're still missing this Z-Space transponder. And they don't really have any clues how to get something like that. But uh, Axe mentions how maybe if uh, if a controller called the Yerk ship, the mothership, to talk to them, they would have to have one of these these Z-Space transponder parts. And it's Tobias who suggests, well, uh, our vice principal Chapman, who is a controller, uh, calls Visor 3 to talk to him on the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> it would stand to reason that he probably has one of these in his basement. And, and X and confirms that. He's like, yeah, if he's talked to him at all, he has one. Right. So... They know. They know that their best shot is, is the Chapman household. However... Rachel, still a sore subject for her. She's she's against, you know, putting her friend Melissa in danger anymore and uh just thinks it's too risky. They can't they can't recreate the plot from book 2. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, they're going to have to come up with a different suggestion. Oh, and who comes up with the suggestion? Who leads them on this amazingly carefree journey they're about to partake in. I would like to think that everyone is super pissed at Cassie for this, but Cassie suggests maybe if they had a small enough morph, they could sneak in unnoticed. And the smallest morph that she could possibly conceive of uh, would be Ant. And this is another reason why this book is fantastic <laughs> she is supposed to be our beacon of knowledge she is supposed to be our our insight into the animal kingdom and how these animals interact what's safe to morph you know this is what you're here for yeah she really dropped the ball on not doing the research on this one she she's a conundrum of a character <laughs> well the next day in school uh we get another another little scene of regular life from the Animorphs. And we've got Jake telling Marco, uh, kind of casually, <laughs> that uh, it's going to be black ants. We had we had Tobias scope out the area around Chapman's house. Turns out there are black ants around there. And Marco is against the idea of just doing bug morphs in general. He He's like everybody else at this point not down for the idea of becoming bugs. Bugs are just too disgusting at this point, which, you know, to us seasoned readers, uh, and especially considering the next book, yeah, we know that this is kind of... Uh, it's wishful thinking at this point <laughs> to not have to morph bugs. This leads to the real problem at hand that he's having in that there's a new morph, a new type of morph completely, and it's just... it's. Another incredibly dangerous situation. And this is when he clues Jake into the two-year anniversary. And we get the actual back, a little insight, into, or a little peek into the backstory of what happened to his mom with her taking the ship out uh, and, and drowning at sea. And why did she go alone? And why did all these things happen? And, and he tells it to Jake and, and gets his sympathy or whatever. But he's he's very much against... This mission in particular, because of how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is, following all the dangerous missions they just gone on. 
I mean, a, a trip to Radio Shack nearly killed all of them. <laughs> that is true. That's a good way to think of that. <laughs> yeah. The next scene has everyone meeting up at the uh, for sale house that is right next door to Chapman's. And they even say, wonder why these people wanted to move. Maybe they didn't like living next to evil slugs from outer space. <laughs> or maybe it was just, you know, really good for the plot. They kind of get right into it, and everybody starts morphing ant. Um, and right away, it's 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 a different morph in that the ant kind of has no sense of self. It's it's all about the hive, and that is a bad sign immediately. Everyone's kind of freaking out a little bit, but uh, Tobias manages to to snap them out of it, and they sort of become aware. And Tobias is very, very concerned for them at this point. He tells them to abandon mission. Well, yeah, it's not it's not like a regular, you know, oh, no, I'm a prey animal, so I'm, like, super scared. Or, you know, the cool collected mind of a predator. This is completely different. This is a a mindset of a finger instead of a person. You know, this is this is a part of a larger being that has no self-awareness, and they they don't just lose themselves to it. They lose thought process to it. It's just instinct, move forward, kill. Uh, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Despite Tobias's warnings, uh, they decide that they are capable enough to go through with the mission, and they start moving around through the backyard and I guess they find their their way into the uh, Chapman household basement by some some cracks in the wall, and uh, there's there's actually a funny little moment where they're they're wandering through some ant tunnels, and I think I think it's Rachel sees another ant, an enemy ant, and she kind of gets a little scared for a moment and uh, mentions the the ant turn and ran off, so they got lucky at that point. Oh, they think they were lucky. Really, they just, you know, probably met a scout or something. That could be. But they end up they end up making it into the basement fairly safe and sound. And um, the, everybody demorphs, of course, because ant morphs are not going to be very helpful once they're inside. I like that Marco just immediately starts playing with the computer, the, the super high-tech... Uh, not hover. What the... Holographic display? Yeah, the hologram computer. Marco starts Marco starts playing with this hologram computer and uh by by luck, by coincidence, by uh plot exposition, happens to find a document that reveals that Visor 1 is coming to Earth. We get a uh, a good little bit of a world building here where Axe kind of walks them through the hierarchy of command structure in the Yurk Empire. And we, we find out that there's 47 Vizzers. Obviously, Fizzer 3 and Fizzer 1 are the top dogs. I assume Fizzer 2 in there, but we don't hear much about him. But uh, Not for a long time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, we get we get some great insight into the uh, Yurk command structure that I think is really interesting and, and necessary for us to learn more about this place and think of it as a real universe. X finds the part that he needs and this i thought was kind of strange so the this this z space transponder this super important part that's necessary for for alien you know 
transmissions. It's the size of a pea. They say it's no larger than a pea, but they describe it as a disc. So I'm thinking of a like a CD that's mm-hmm. the size of a pea. That, that seems like some real, real small, powerful technology there. Yeah, it's like a microchip, just, you know, an alien advanced technological version. Yeah, that's that's pretty advanced. Mm-hmm. So they use their incredible strength in Ant Morph to like three or four of them are pushing this thing back up the crack and yeah, I think they kind of they like lodge it in the crack or something in the wall and then <laughs> morph ant. Yeah, uh, which you know so far they've gotten away scot free. It's not a bad. It's a, it's going a lot better than the last time they snuck into Chapman's office. Oh yeah, definitely. They 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 get the Z space transponder, you know, in the wall, and they're all in ant morph. They're chugging along through the the enemy ant mines, dragging this thing. And here is where things become not fun for the team. Let, let, let me revise that for you. Here's where things become absolutely horrifying for the team. It's kind of on par with you know a a, a one of the worst horror movies <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't even know if you could turn this into a horror movie because it's really them, their perspective and us being in the middle of it in a book that makes it so scary because it's just it's just it's just scary. That's all. That's the best way you can describe it. The way that it's written is what makes it so scary because you don't get like action like oh the the ant you know came after us and the ant was upon me and it was biting. You get just just little snippets and sentences of them screaming in terror about how there's an ant over here and it's ripping me apart. And basically all we get are the screams of the, of the animorphs. Basically while they're climbing back up and pushing this disc up, they are swarmed by the colony that they're in and they're being, they're literally being ripped apart. There's, you know, Cassie loses a leg they're going after their faces, their eyes, their torsos. The entire time, after the first few seconds, Marco has an ant literally gnawing through his, you know, midsection, trying yeah. to cut him in half. And it's oh, yeah. it's doing a pretty good job. It's, oh, yeah. it's going to get him. It's safe to say everyone on the team is close to dying here. I mean, this is this is as close a call as... Uh, Marco getting torn apart by the shark in the last book. This is way worse than that. They're well, all yeah, because be- it's everybody. <laughs> yeah, and there it's not like oh, I'm bit, I'm really hurt. Let's how are we gonna get me back to shore? It's we're all losing limbs and being torn apart. It even says uh, poisoned. They their ants are stinging them and like throwing like spitting poison at them, so they're being burned alive as well as they're being ripped apart. They, it, it gets so bad that they have to demorph when they're not even to safety yet. They're, they're demorphing and they're still underground. It, 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 it says they're, they're all popping out of the ground as they're demorphing. Uh, kind of like, like zombies. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> while they're recovering on the ground from, uh, from what just happened, uh, it even, there's a funny little line about Rachel stamping the ground in the background to, uh, uh, to fix the the upset dirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he even makes a little comment like, yeah, totally to fix it. She's not, you know, just trying to kill as many ants as possible. Ugh, but, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty insane uh, 
scene for the series so far. And it, it shows us how far the series is willing to go to make its point. Ant Morph is definitely one of the most traumatizing experiences for the Animorphs in general. I mean, this will be this will be referenced throughout the series, you know. Never again. Never again will we morph ant. <laughs> yeah, not even close. But... And in fact, it's it's so bad that the nightmares really start to wear on the team over the next couple of days or pages or chapters. Yeah, when they get to school the next day, uh, I mean, they, they got the disc. It's, it's all good. They complete the mission. Hurrah. But when they're at school the next day, I mean, as Marco is seeing the other Animorphs in the hallway, they are beyond frazzled. They are just that no one slept. No one has gotten through the night. They've all been thinking about what happened. This was a near-death experience. And Marco, even uh, even though he doesn't name it, because they didn't really talk about this much in the late 90s, but uh, th- he starts talking about a major, major point in the series, you know, the, this post-traumatic stress disorder that they'll all come to know and love uh, as part of their personalities. He starts going into it and how that's that's what happened to them. They They can't deal with what they just went through. No, and in fact, Marco even makes a point to compare their current states to his father's in that everyone is just so depressed and worn out and and basically dead inside. And it's so bad that Rachel even snaps on some kid at school uh, over some trivial matter and and she's ready to just pulverize pulverize this kid until Marco steps in to interfere. Great and... scene. I mean, Rachel just... Uh, Rachel could have killed her. I mean, Rachel's... At this point, she's a seasoned warrior. I mean, she... Uh, she's not going to deal with some snotty, you know, girl who's giving her crap during the lunchroom. I mean, what is that? I'm surprised Rachel didn't go straight to Elephant right there. <laughs> well, Rachel's a little bit smarter than that. But this altercation does land them both in uh, Vice Principal Chapman's office, and they get a lovely little scene here with Chapman trying to interrogate them, and Marco kind of diffuses the whole situation with uh, with a little bit of his trademark, you know, comedy and uh, wit, and it's enough to uh, kind of calm Rachel down and win her back over, and they even get a little moment here towards the yeah. end. Yeah, Rachel, Rachel gives him a, a nice little compliment, and... and... You know, she she compliments on him on being able to laugh at any situation, and and you know she tells him to keep going. Keep oh yeah, she says laugh, we Marco. need that. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, I know you're you're a snarky kind of idiot sometimes, but we we really need that when we're almost dying by ants. You're our snarky idiot. Now it's time for Cassie's farm meeting number three. <laughs> Cut three two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the for the third time, they meet up at Cassie's farm, and Axe is done with the distress beacon. He's ready to initiate phase two of <laughs> Steel Yorkship, which they decide uh, to actually leave town and uh, and do it further away from from their city, which is smart. I mean, they can't keep doing everything in the same place, or the Yorks are gonna wise up. They decide on uh, activating this distress, distress beacon at a uh, rock quarry quarry that's uh, about quarry. an hour away, they mentioned. So Axe needs a bird morph. 
Yeah, and he gets it. Um, he turns into a Northern Harrier. Is that right? Yes, Northern yeah. Harrier is what Cassie sets him up with. After Jake says goodbye to Cassie and everybody's going home or whatnot, uh, him and Marco walk home and they talk normal for a while, baseball, video games, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Jake notices that something's off about Marco and he calls him out on it. And Marco drops the mic and says, this is my last mission. This is it. I can't do this I'm anymore. out. After this one, I'm out. Yeah, he's done. He's He can't take the nightmares, can't take ant morphs, can't do that to his dad. It's just it's, well, yeah. It, at this point, the biggest the biggest uh, factor for for him in deciding this is just you know he cannot risk having something bad happen to him because his dad would you know if Marco dies, his dad dies. And he's obviously been saying this. He's been saying this the entire series, but now he means it. <laughs> five missions in, it's even more real that. He's probably going to die if he keeps, you know, fighting in this war. Exactly. They fly to the quarry, and Axe gets to geek out a little bit about his bird morph and how much he loves flying and how much he loves the eyes compared to human eyes. Oh, and I'd say this is a pretty, uh, eh, it's not super important, but I, I like that Axe has a scene like this where he reacts to the bird morph similar to how they reacted when they all got their first bird morphs. Because it, it kind of makes him more like them in our minds. It, it, it insinuates him into the group uh, more than we've seen before. So that's a nice touch for where this is all going. They give Rachel, who who has the biggest bird morph, the eagle, uh, the, the little device that Axe built, which they say is the size of a TV remote. And the, everybody, you know, reaches the, the rock quarry where they're going and, and demorph and try to coordinate this sneak attack that they're about to pull while they're waiting for the bug fighter to show up after they've activated this device they start teasing each other on whose battle morph is the strongest and it's just another one of those scenes that's like oh they're real people and of course <laughs> cassie's is the worst they're, they they all think they can beat her well, I would beg to differ. Cassie brings up a very good point that uh, her wolf morph could probably outrun most of them, aside from Jake's tiger. And uh, once they tired, yeah, you know, I don't think a gorilla or, well, maybe an elephant could fend off a wolf. <laughs> I don't think it's the worst morph. I'm just saying they they all agree that it is. Oh, and, totally. Uh, they're they're all they're all laughing at her. <laughs> I think a wolf is. Pretty scary animal. <laughs> As we've learned in book three, wolves are not fun. Yeah. But finally, the bug fighter does arrive, and they're all in battle morph, you know, in their various hiding places, uh, ready to just, you know, they know how many, you know, villains are going to be in there. It's going to be Horkabajir and a, a Taxon. They're ready. They've got their uh, battle plan set up where they go in you know, two at a time and attack different ones and take it over. And I don't see how this could go wrong. It looks great right now, Mitch. What What's happening? Well, after after taking out the lone Hork-Bajir hork and storming the bug fighter, uh, basically a, a whole crap load of Yurks show up. Um, it says they line the, the ridges of this rock quarry that they're at. So it's quite a bit. There's a lot of them showing up to ambush them. 
I grew up near a rock quarry, and if this is a normal one, these are massive places. So to have them lining the entire sides, this is thousands of Horkbajir. Yeah, I kind of wonder how they coordinated that so fast. I think they have probably certain situations uh, and procedures in place for getting wrong codes uh, like like just happened. I'm sure the analyze like Axe even said, this is why this is a dumb plan. Axe said himself, oh, we do this all the time. It's fine. It works out. I mean, you can only, you know, count on them falling for it so many times before, you know, your random codes that you remember uh, are going to work. Yeah, but if you think about it, okay, so the Yerks, I don't know why they would be expecting a distress call to come from this particular rock quarry, but it says that, you know, Axe presses the button and activates the distress beacon, and everybody starts going battle morph then, right there when he pushes the button. So everyone morphs, which they said I think takes about two minutes, and then very shortly, I mean, we just get this this dialogue scene of them kind of bragging about their battle morphs, and then the ship shows up. But immediately after they take out this lone hork Bajir, that's when the entire army shows up to ambush them. So it's like, that's like a span of maybe 10 minutes for them to set this whole ambush up. <laughs> well, I think what it is, uh, in this universe, and this timeline and everything, um, for the most part, I think most of the Yerk ships don't have much to do in orbit. It's not like they're patrolling constantly. I mean, I mean, they might be patrolling for if the rogue Andalite ship shows up or if the fleet shows up, but there's no space battles happening or anything. So the Yerks probably have all these ships, all the fighters, everything with the mother, with the mothership and the pool ship and all that, uh, probably just on standby. So if any any kind of anomaly, especially after these weeks of terrorist attacks on all their, you know installations and the yerk pool and everything i'm sure they're ready to send as many forces as it takes to capture the andalite bandits at this point yeah so I, I, I guess it's plausible yeah <laughs> just saying kind of unlikely yeah well they they made it happen we can well, only go with the information we have and the book says it happened so <laughs> realistic so they're, to me. they're in this situation where you know hark bajir and taxon controllers just co completely surrounding them they're they're trapped and, of course, Big Bad, Visitor 3, shows up. And he loves Jake's morph. Oh, yeah. He, he, yep, yep. He's he's always very compliment. Com, complimentative? What's the word there? Complimentary? Complimentary. He compliments Jake's tiger morph. He's a gentleman. <laughs> he, he, you know, it's cat-related. So he's, he's on board immediately. So Visitor 3's taunting them, and mentions that he's going to hand him over to Visitor 1. And as he's telling him his, his plans for them, they kind of detect a little hint of malice in his voice. And they come to the realization that it, it doesn't sound like he really likes Visitor 1. So now the Animorphs go to space, which we've all been waiting for. I don't know why the entire series just doesn't take place in space. Uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, if I were to go to space tomorrow... Which is what kind of happens to them. They weren't they weren't going to leave with the axe or anything. They weren't expecting this. Uh, so their first visit into space and seeing the Earth, what should be kind of an amazing, beautiful moment, is them just, you know, wetting themselves with fear and, and not knowing what's going to come next. 
And, you know, they're they're stuck in a a small bare room with with nothing in it, no chance of escape. And a little window opens up to show them just well, first of all, to show them planet Earth that they're leaving behind and to show them the sheer size and immensity of the Yurk mothership that they're heading towards. And this is strange. Uh, having never read this book before, this is one of those early books I was talking about before that I hadn't read uh, with all the normal ones. Oh, that's it's a shame. It is, it is, it is. Uh, so I never had anything to go off of, of what the Yurk mothership looked like. This is I never pictured this sphere with spider legs or anything. I just made it up in my head. So to now actually get a visualization, it's, it's pretty pretty weird. It's like, uh, that's not what it looks like. As they arrive, doors open, and they're led onto this ramp, and they see this huge hangar bay filled with hundreds and hundreds of personnel wearing these different colored uniforms. And they start to realize that these two, these groups and these armies are separate and they're not seeming to get along very well either or working together very well at the very least. There's a lot of different controllers on this ship. Uh, all sort of Hork-Bajir, Taxons, uh, humans, of course. Everyone's really surprised to see humans in outer space, but, you know, it's the Irks. That's what they do. Yeah, and they say that there's various other aliens there, so... We can only assume that the ones we'll learn about later are hanging I'm sh- out. I'm sure there's some Ged. I'm sure there's some Skritna. You know. Well, not Skritna. They can't. They can't inhabit Skritna. I'm sure there's some of them there. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, where they encounter Visor Three, who is standing next to his best buddy, Visor One. They're not actually best buddies. They actually hate each other. Oh, you went and. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want people to get confused. I don't have anything clever. I'm, I'm speechless. I've got nothing clever to say to that. Anyway, so as Visitor 3 is walking up with Visitor 1, big shocking reveal. This is the Empire Strikes Back moment of the oh, Animal series. It is. Visitor 1 is Marco's mom. Boosh. No, actually, actually, I, I think it was... Uh... It was quite foreshadowed that at least something was going to happen with Marco's mom. Oh, of course. They were they were talking about her in the entire book. But I still don't think you expect to have her be the biggest of all bads, Visor One herself. No, I guess not. And I, I can't say for sure when I originally read the book that I saw it coming because I was a dumb kid. But um, I didn't even read this book. I went through the rest of the series with that being revealed by every time Marco talks about his reason to fight, and that's that's where we're at. These first five books, as I've mentioned in every single episode, they give their individual narrators their reason to be an Animorph. Here's Marco's. Your mom is not dead. She's over there, and she's your enemy. Go. <laughs> yeah, that. so that's a pretty good reason to fight. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything better than that. Well, I don't really care about my mom, so I'm just going to let this one go. <laughs> yep, you you got her, Yerks. Good job. I, I tip my hat to thee. Well, as soon as Marco, you know, sees Visor 1 as his mom, he's not in a good state. And Jake is just trying to calm him down right away with private thought speak. And this is incredibly smart, because there is a really good chance, us being in the head of Marco, of Marco just being like, Mom? 
Like, he, he, I think he's right on the edge of just not speaking to her. If he wasn't in Gorilla Morph, um, you know, if he was his human self, uh, yeah, maybe. But, of course, then Viserone would have recognized him right away. And, you know, the clock's ticking. They're running out of time. But as they're as they're standing there being evaluated by Visors one and three, uh, Visor one and three start to bicker a little while Marco is just kind of trying to keep it together, witnessing his mom and coming to the realization that you know she's not dead, and everything that he thought he knew about her death was all a lie. Uh, Visor three and Visor one. They bicker a little bit back and forth, and, and Visor 3 kind of says some stuff that ticks off Visor 1, who who eventually storms out on him right before threatening him by saying, you know, you better watch yourself, you better not make any mistakes, because uh, the Council of 13 doesn't like Visors who make mistakes, and uh, leaves him with that little thought in mind. And we've got Jake just trying as hard as he possibly can to calm Marco down. And 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 Marco really, really accepts his fate. I think he does a pretty good job um, while they're still standing there before they're paraded off. Uh, we have Axe kind of snapping on Visor 3. And there's a moment where Visor 3 almost puts the pieces of the puzzle together. He He comments how, you know, it's strange how all the other... The other Andalite bandits here are in Morph, and there's one Andalite who who seems to not, never morph, whatever I see him, and he's the only one who talks to me, and, and he, he think he's going to put it together, but he just kind of shrugs it off and <laughs> yeah, is willing to important. accept a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting part that this early in the series, he might have almost gotten there, but... Uh, it was... seems like they, they really toy with the idea of making him competent. But they always back out. <laughs> That'd be no fun. Well, yeah. Well, the kids get sent back to super jail. Yeah. Well, no, it's a new super jail. The mothership super jail. <laughs> uh, no window this time, so it's super uber jail. Yep, yep. And uh, their, their only plan at this point that they could possibly deduce is maybe we could morph ant it's it's small enough that who knows maybe we could find a crack or something in well here no at and... first at first they're all standing around uh just throwing wild ideas out there i mean they're uh they're terrified uh they they don't see a way out of this time and cassie's like maybe if we morph human they'll take pity on us and let us go i mean they're they're throwing out dumb dumb idea and cassie especially ideas. especially the the idea of uh trying to go out in a blaze of glory fighting <laughs> yeah and while they're coming up with these horrible horrible cassie level ideas marco stands up and he gives this epic independence day style speech on just their resolve and not giving up and this is where you see whereas the other people they had their reasons to fight marco's one of the best ones in the sense that he really gets fired up here. I mean, he he takes over the group. Jake is just like cowering in the corner. He's not the leader right now. Marco tells them, "No, we're we are animorphs, and we're gonna get out of this." <laughs> Tobias, you're screwed. Uh, but um... <laughs> turns out none of that really matters because the door to their their super jail opens, and a very very well spoken, well versed Hork Bajir <laughs> shows up. And they notice that he's wearing one of the uniforms. I don't remember which color it is, but gold. 
It's irrelevant. No, it's it's 100% relevant. It's He's wearing a gold uniform. It's irrelevant when I'm talking, baby. He's he's wearing a gold uniform, which is Visitor One's colors. He's... <laughs> this A really smart Horkvajir shows up who can speak English very well and tells them point blank, here's the directions on how to get to the escape pods. Go now. <laughs> so... And it doesn't take them long to figure out. This is one of Visitor One's pawns here and this is quite obviously you know just a, a case of the yurks trying to to pull one over on each other yeah i mean you look at how the last book ended with them being saved by super jesus whales uh versus this one where they're basically saved by politics it's way more clever uh, than the last book i'll say yeah that. I, I would say that the the last book bothered me with how big of a, a deus ex machina it is whereas this book it when it does it it's way more believable and i felt that it was okay that you know they're in this impossible to escape situation they are totally screwed and something very very simple comes along and saves them well not only not only is it uh a better way to go about doing something like that but it actually sets up a character in visor one and sets up this uh you know, plot later on about these two warring visitors. That's insanely interesting. I mean, audiences yeah, yeah. will accept that all day long if you give them something with it, some meat to it. So that's what we have here. And I would say that the rivalry between Visor One and Visor Three is is one of the great subplots of this whole series. Mm-hmm. And it definitely saved them here. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the team manages to, of course, you know, make their escape and they battle their way through the uh, spaceship halls, <laughs> you know, heading for the escape pods. And uh, we even get a cool little sci-fi elevator shaft scene where they, they get into this hover shaft. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, but they do make it to an escape pod. They demorph in the escape pod and they get back to Earth, which it was, it was not looking good there for a while. No, they, they definitely lucked out all throughout this book. <laughs> the ant morphs getting caught by, you know, Visor 1, Visor 3. Um, and, and just before, I like this, in the in the, the the escape pod, as they're demorphing, just before Marco loses the ability to, to thought speak, he sends Jake a little private private message, and he, he basically just asks him not to tell anyone about his mother being Visor One, because nobody else knows that that's his mother. Jake's the only one who recognized her, along with Marco. Yeah. So, and nobody knows that that Visor One is his mom, and that's going to be, uh, just the situation for for a while. Yeah, I don't I don't remember when the others find out, but it's pretty later, pretty far on later. Yes. But, uh, so topping off the book at the very end. I, I'm a fan of how they decided to epilogue this book. I mean, it's kind of an epilogue. Where Marco and his dad, as they've been talking about the entire book, they head to the cemetery and they arrive to honor his mother's death, the two-year anniversary. And it's really just a scene that to lead us into Marco you know, dealing with the revelation that his mom's not dead. And lead us to, I don't know, a more optimistic ending or a more optimistic outlook for this, you know, broken, shattered family where... Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> yeah, where the father, 
he doesn't, you know, right away snap out of it, but he does say, you know, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I was thinking about going and, and talking to Joe or whoever uh, at my old job and, and seeing if, uh, if they'll have me back. Yeah, he's got his old job back at this point, and he's he's ready to move on. And uh, they even they even get all buddy buddy at the, the very end there and start chatting about video games and Doom in particular. Yeah, you can tell it's uh, uh, it's a long time coming, and it's a big deal for his dad to even be this jovial, especially at the gravesite of the woman he's been mourning for two years straight. Yeah, and the book ends with uh marco kind of you know restating his purpose now he he promises to find his mother and free her from the yurks and that's marco's reason to fight that's book five not nothing else to say about the the storyline i think we can jump straight into our reviews and uh definitely coming back to you starting this one off again go ahead whenever you're ready well, it's it's an easy one for me to review. Honestly, there was nothing that I didn't like about it. <laughs> How's that for a review? That's there a is review. nothing I didn't like about this book. Everything was great. We get we get first Marco being the being the front man, front and center. Marco's obviously one of my favorite characters. I think he's probably a lot of people's favorite characters. And his first book delivers. It gives us everything we could have possibly wanted. Um, and just the amount of, of of historical firsts in this book. I mean, first acts, food freakout. First, you know, terribly, terribly tragic ant morph. First run-in with Visor 1. Uh, first incredibly hopeless situation where everyone is totally caught by the Yerks and doomed. It's It's just such an epic book it's it's like a roller coaster it's like they put a roller coaster in the book it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um i i I literally i i couldn't say anything bad about it i dare you coleman i dare you to find something wrong with this book you can't (laughs) and i can't and i won't i love this book i am giving this book five you hear that five out of five visor ones Uh, i'm i'm Perfectly fine with you giving it that rating. I mean, we know uh, we know we have to take off two points for every scale you give on your reviews, but that's fine. That's you good. know what? You like to criticize my <laughs> reviewing system, but I'll tell you what. My reviewing system is based on feeling, okay? And I felt this book. This book felt like a number five to me. Let's, let's hear the master's review then. What say you? So uh, I just want to first off say at the start of my review, that there is a noticeable shift in writing from this book and a couple of the last ones. Uh, it is just an incredibly, incredibly clever book. Right from the beginning, like like we were talking about, the recap is exceptionally well done and kind of its own thing. It's it's not this intrusive, uh, you know, meandering of and repeating the story that we've already heard before. Um, the The beginning the structure that going into the first act and and the troubles they have going into the ant morphs everything is so well done and funny it's so clever and funny throughout i i choose to believe uh that this is Kay applegate's favorite character and she knew exactly how and who he should be and that just inspired her to write at a higher level than she had so far 
Um, it's just, it's an exceptional book all around. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, my only problems with it are... Watch it! <laughs> it does wrap up a little cleanly. I mean, we have this amazing uh, revelation. And, you know, I compared it earlier to Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back had no way to wrap up cleanly. It ended horribly with them all in dire straits and, and depressed and, and not knowing where to go next. I think this book could have used an ending like that. Uh, it would have fit the tone of the rest of the book. But instead, we do get kind of a happy ending, which I think is a little, very, very slightly mismatched with the tone of the rest of the book. Um, yeah. but, and that's the only fault I can say, is, is that. And it is an exceptional book. It is a great book. A lot of great things happen. Um, and, and for having not read it before, this is only my second time reading it, and the first time was a couple months ago. I mean, it's pretty soon. Uh I was surprised by how much is introduced in this book. I, I can't even call myself an Animorphs fan for having read this book so late in the series. Um, You're but, not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Not I am not the ultimate fan, but I'm glad I got to enjoy it now. And um, while I don't think the book, well, I think the book overall is exceptional and great. I don't think it it reached that higher level uh, that makes it like an iconic Animorphs book. In my oh, mind. you're wrong. It has iconic, <laughs> it has iconic moments, and it has incredibly important things in it. But I don't think it's that you know I'm going to remember this book as the iconic Animorphs book. Boo. So it's Boo. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it four out of five bowls of lobster bisque as my review. Four out of five is great. That's not even a bad score. That's that's a great score. Uh, That's and it's, undeserving. It's a great book, and it, for, it got a great score. For a book where the Animorphs literally traipsed around a jungle fighting an alien predator, <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Uh, that wasn't this book. That's, I'm going uh, to write the alien. Or I'm going to write the Animorphs versus Predator fan fiction now. Only if I can write the book where all six Animorphs are hanging out on a derelict spaceship and being hunted one by one by an alien. Animorphs versus Alien versus Predator? No, we'll do Animorphs versus Alien. You'll write Animorphs versus Predator, and we'll do an Alien Alien versus Animorphs versus Predator book. It'll be great. I'm going to do Animorphs meets the Scooby Doo gang. <laughs> oh, that'll be boring. <laughs> and and then the Harlem Glo- Globetrotters. <laughs> they show up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's that is book six. We're finished, and I think we're gonna. We don't have any emails this week. Uh, we'll, we'll get some more of those later on, but I think we are ready to just go ahead and wrap this one up for the week. Oh yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) I would like to point out real quick how we have, uh, we've got book six coming up. Oh man. And I know, I know that I say this, but I am really excited for book six. And after that, we've got book seven, the stranger, um, and then our first Megamorphs book. We're gonna do the we're gonna do the Megamorphs. Uh, we're gonna slide them in kind of chronologically with where they fit into the series. Um, with I, I guess that that's their release date technically. But um, that's all I gotta say about that. I can't wait to get past the first Megamorphs book and get to the real Megamorphs book. Megamorphs number two in the time of the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, I only read that one once as well. And yeah, uh, we are starting to get into the books that um, I, I I really only did read one time. Oh, man, we're getting into the books I've never read. 
14, <laughs> wow. 15, 16. <laughs> Wait, you didn't read 15? What? You didn't read 15? Which one's 15? Uh, 15 is The Escape. Is that the one where Marco's a hammerhead shark on the front? Yeah. Oh, okay, I have read that, that one. That's the next Visitor 1 book. Yeah, I have read that one. Yeah, I, th- I think I was going to say, but I couldn't find it while we were talking about it. But yeah, yeah, that's number 15. There's a few There's a few teens and a couple 20s I haven't read, so I'm excited to get to those. I can tell you right away, the first book that I ever skipped for sure was book 14, The Unknown, with Cassie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even a matter of me skipping them. I definitely haven't read that one either. But it's not a matter of me skipping them. It's just at this point... I had bought the originals, the first 10 or so, um, just because those were the most readily available, and they were the most at the time I was reading them. And then the rest of the series, it was really just a hodgepodge of finding them at libraries or, or the occasional Walden Books run. You know, I, I didn't mean to read them out of order. I was just young and naive. Oh, I was quite OCD even back then, and I uh, had to do everything in order. Yeah. But, you know, get excited because next time we're reading book six, The Capture, and it is, honestly, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I think it's my favorite Animorphs book. So, I'm not going to go that far. That's big, that's big. I'm not going to go that far because uh, David never shows up in it, but... Boo! But where I was saying, what I was saying earlier in my review about uh, books being iconic, I think book six is pretty damn iconic. I would agree with you, sir. Book six, book seven, and then Megamorphs. I'm pumped. How about you? I'm about as pumped as I've ever been in my entire life. Awesome. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Thought Speak. Join us next week when we review book number six, The Capture. If you enjoyed this episode, you can keep up with the show by liking our Facebook or following us on Twitter, at MorphCast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com rate the show on itunes and stitcher so more people can find out about it and join the conversation join the conversation join it thought speak uh, well that's another week thank you everyone i'm coleman and i'm mitchell and that's thought speak this week see y'all next week <laughs> <laughs>